Greetings ladies and managers, and welcome to this latest video for Retreat Hell, taken from the subreddit HFY. The link to the original is down below, and if you enjoy the story, head over there and let the author know. If you wish to support this channel, there are many ways to do so, also, strangely enough, listed down below. Don't forget to subscribe or we'll have a platoon of angry cat-like creatures attacking you in your sleep. Anyways, on to the sci-fi. Chapter 18 Three fecking weeks. Say again, Sergeant. Maya turned and looked at Bradford as she stared over the Haskell wall. It's been three fecking weeks, sir, since we finished getting the FOB set up. And we're still sitting here, she snorted. It's bad enough that we haven't been fecking Keeblers since the first week of the war. We've built eight FOBs chained out over 500 kilometers without seeing a single elf. Now, we've been twiddling our thumbs up our rears for so long, the goddamn army's caught up. She waved at the latest line of trucks and Humvees, rolling up to the gate in the compound's southern wall. Disappointed the elves aren't giving us resistance, Sergeant. Sir, she said, turning away from the wall. We're marines. We exist to fight and kill the enemy. And right now, we don't have an enemy to fight, she frowned. We're all on edge, sir, with nobody to take it out on but each other. I hear you, Sergeant, said, shaking his head. The thing is, the elves have rolled over, or so little resistance, that top brass is getting unnerved. We're finally starting to get some satellite coverage, and between those and recon flights, we're seeing evidence that they have a lot more forces left. But they're not engaging us. And we don't know why. So we're just going to sit here and diddle with our own chocolate starfish until they decide to come out and play, sir. Ah, not quite, he chuckled. We're consolidating. Chop Brass is worried about being lured into overextending. We're letting everyone catch up so that we can advance across a consistent front. Any word on when we'll be moving out then, sir? Soon, Sergeant, he said, clapping a hand on his shoulder. Soon. Then we'll really show these Kibler bastards how the Marine Corps kicks ass. The trick is all in the wrist, Gamer said. You gotta get a good swing, though, but you gotta use your wrist. And just your wrist. Use your whole arm and you'll overshoot. Watch. He flicked his wrist up, releasing the string pinched between his thumb and his fingers as the small rock tied into the string reached the peak of its arc. It flew forwards, arcing down, then dropped into the wide end of the traffic cone lying on its side. It bounced twice, pulling the string into the cone after it, but it didn't bounce out to the narrow end of the top. Strings all in, three points, Kimber said, to mild applause and cheers. He tapped Ren on the chest about the back of the hand. You're up. Nice throw, Ren said, walking up to the cone to retrieve the rock on a string. Have you been playing this game long? Uh, a year or two. Picked it up from some sub-guys. Was visiting an old buddy of mine in the Navy, and he got me on a tour of one of the subs. It was a weekend, and the guys on duty came up with it, bored out of their skull. Rin's throw skipped across the ground, into the cone, but just barely. Rocks in, strings out, two points. Where the feck did you get a traffic cone anyway? Sinteli asked as he walked down to retrieve the rock and a string for his turn. Bro, this bad boy here is our lucky traffic cone, Kimber said. Chase stripped out a lot of stupid crap out here. Been with us ever since we rolled out of the FOB rebound three months ago. Feck, it's been almost four months now, Centelli said, just before tossing his shot and completely whiffing. Jesus, Centelli, 
Kimbus shook his head. Am I going to have to carry you the whole match? <laughs> Alda chuckled. You're as lucky at hitting the cone as you are at hitting the ladies. You know what? Thank you, Sinteddy said, pointing at him. I hope you get testicular cancer and die in a fecking fire. Alda just laughed. Gomez, Rin said, tapping his teammate's shoulder. You're up. Ha, <laughs> yeah, Gomez said, stuffing the notepad and pencil into the cargo pocket before walking over to retrieve the rock and the string. Turning back to them, he stopped, then smiled. Hey, guys, watch this. Uh-oh, what are we watching? Shh, Gomez says, nodding at Kowalski, lying sprawled out asleep against a pile of sandbags that they had filled a couple days before. He started to swing the rock on a string, lining it up with Kowalski's spread legs. Oh, this isn't going to end well. Gomez let fire, arcing the rock up and dropped squarely on the man's groin. Oh, back! The rock hit, jolting Kowalski awake, and he immediately curled into a ball, his face turning red as he cried in pain. Rin's ears flicked back in sympathy. The rest of the squad laughed as he rolled around in pain, clutching at the ground. Kowalski grabbed the rock and chucked it in the general direction of the others. They easily dodged, but a marine behind them did not. Oh, feck, you fecking jerks! The rock came flying back, glancing off Gomez's shoulder. Hey man, what the feck? Gomez said, bending over to grab another rock and lobbing it in return. Rin's ears shut up, then flattened as he dodged an ill-aimed return flow. A blink later, and several rocks flew out as second squad fell in around him, screaming their offense. Another salvo returned, then chaos broke out as marines across the yard started hacking rocks and dirt clods at each other. In early moments, Rin was dodging rocks flying around from most of Echo Company. Taking advantage of Gomez's utility as cover, he started grabbing a few rocks of his own. With a massed cry, what looked like half of Delta Company ran into the fray, chucking rocks and clumps of dirt at each other as much of the already engaged marines. Peeking around Gomez as the big marine wound up, he flinched back from a spray of gravel, a rock glancing off his right horn, and he stumbled as much as dove behind a stack of sandbags for cover. Look at these fecking yokels! Leave them alone! And they fight each other, fecking dumbass jawheads. Return, spotting a group of humans in slightly different uniforms, walking past the yard. Ah, the army. He tapped Kowalski's shoulder, nodding in their direction. Kowalski smiled. <laughs> Can't leave him out of the fun, can we? Hey, Feckface! He shouted, hefting a rock. Eat this! He lobbed it hard into the direction of the new humans. The stone arced through the air in a high parabola and dropped down and bounced off the shoulders' helmets. Hey, Feck! Who the Feck threw that? Your mother, Taint! All right, you Feck, that's it! The soldier leaned forward, marching in the direction, several other soldiers at his back. Let's sew them, charge! Two-five! Kowalski shouted at the top of his lungs, drawing the attention of the surrounding marines. Retreat! Hell! Several marines shouted back. Half a heartbeat later, a hailstorm of rocks and dirt clods rained down on the army platoon. The soldiers dove for cover, quickly grabbing up their own ammunition and sending off a return volley. Another army platoon rounded the corner and simply charged the comrades' aid. The rest of the marines dropped their local squabbles, and a line of battle formed as the army pushed into the yard. Everything's packed and as ready as it can be, sir, Bradford said, as she walked back from the other outer wall with Mayer. We can be rolling out in less than twenty minutes from here to order to... 
She cut herself off as she cleared the taller portion of the inner wall. That's not general base noise. That shouting is like a fight. Ahead of them, an army platoon stopped at the unfinished gate of the inner wall. They dropped gear and charged into the yard with a chorus of battle cries. Bradford exchanged a glance with Maya, then sprinted for the gate alongside her platoon lieutenant. Rounding the corner of the gate, they both came to a skidding halt and stared agape at the general melee before them. Lines of marines and soldiers were hurling rocks and dirt clods at each other. Several groups were wrestling each other on the ground. A tiny shield flare drew her attention to a pile of sandbags staged for finishing the gate. When most of the second squad had hungered down and was in the middle of wreaking havoc on the army, platoon from their entrenched position. A Humvee rolled to a stop short of Bradford and Mayer. Doors opened and several soldiers stepped out. Bradford didn't know any of them, but one was a full bird colonel. Ah, crap. Attention on deck! The voice of the army sergeant major cut across the yard with a parade ground volume. Soldiers and marines immediately dropped whatever they were holding, mostly rocks, but sometimes other humans, and snapped to attention. A few were slow to respond or didn't hear it, and continued their struggles until receiving a few kicks from their compatriots. Silence. Well over the yard, as the Michaels walked in far end, Colonel Anders, the CEO of 5th Marine, on his heels. Bradford sighed. Wow, isn't this just lovely? Rin stood at attention next to the other members of 2nd Squad. Almost the entirety of 2nd Battalion was lined up on the side of the yard. Across the way, the army soldiers were at attention opposite them, getting screamed at by Sergeant Major. Rin's tail tucked between his legs as marines around him suppressed flinches at the man's words, clearly audible despite the distance. On their side, however, was absolute silence. Colonel Anders stood off to the side, silently watching. Lieutenant Colonel Michaels just stared at them with a cold detachment. His gaze swept across the marines for what felt like hours as the army sergeant major made his best attempt at yelling himself hoarse. Company commanders and senior NCOs in the auditorium tent in five minutes, Michael said. He didn't shout, but his stern voice cut across the battalion. Sergeant Major, I want this fixed. You got them. With that, he turned on his heels and marched away. Colonel Anders turned and left beside him. You heard the colonel, Barakas said, his voice drowning out the army's counterpart. Company commanders and NCOs fall out. Everyone else, stand by. The officers and senior NCOs fell out and started to double time to the tent on the far side of the FOB. Platoon sergeants, he continued once the company triads had moved out of the way. Form up by squad for inspection. Squads will do group ET until all hits are corrected. Move it. Six dash seven feck. Eight dash feck dash. Oh feck. Rin's arms shook as he pushed himself back up. What number am I on? Feck. I don't know. He lowered himself down, just barely able to avoid dropping face first into the dirt. Round four of fifty, because the first three didn't fix the squad's uniform deficiencies. Stifling a whine, he shoved himself back up, elbow quaking all the way. Peck, I don't know what I'm on, but I think I'm something like twenty behind. He was steeling himself for another drop when a messenger ran up to Baracus, across the yard. The army sergeant finally fell silent as another messenger speaking to him and his CO. Battalion! Barakas shouted, turning back to the marines. Recover! Run collapsed as most of the battalion dropped out of the push-up position 
and slowly heaved themselves to their feet. He tried to push himself back to his feet, but found himself laying cheek on the dirt as his arms refused to move. It took Gomez and Samson hauling him to his feet for him to stand, though he was barely able to do it under his own power. Push-ups weren't the only exercise they'd been doing. Oh, everything hurts. Marines, fall out and hydrate. Sergeants, once your men have recovered, get them packed up and ready to move. The Kiblers have finally come to play. Baracus turned and marched away. The Marines looked at each other, panting for breath, almost as much as Run, not sure how to take this news. About fucking time, Kowalski said, wiping sweat off of his brow. Bastards couldn't have come out an hour earlier. Bradford settled into whatever seating could be found in Echo Company's HQ tent alongside the other squad leaders and platoon leaders. A smattering of pens clicked as they all took out notebooks and pocket brains, a few fidgeting as they waited. The damn kiblers took long enough to try something. Whatever it is they're up to, timing was pretty convenient for us too. The rock walls been all but forgotten in the last few hours. She clicked her own pen a couple times, though... It wouldn't have happened if it had been sitting idle for too long. All right, everyone listen up, Spader said, walking into the tent. It was an actual tent this time around, rather than some camo netting strung between a couple trucks. Had time to set up for the real luxuries here. The murmur of the conversation and pen clicks fidgeting died down as Spader walked in front of the group. A couple of staffers followed behind, carrying an easel and what looked like maps. Bradford noted, his movements were a little stiff, and the edges of his collar were crusted with dried sweat. As you've no doubt heard by now, he said, as the staffers set up an easel and hung the maps on, the elves have finally started a counterattack. He glanced at the maps being stacked on the easel and frowned. That's not the one I told you to put up first. Sorry, sir, the corporal said, taking a step towards the easel before Spader waved him off. Doesn't matter, the captain said, waving them away. He flipped through the handful of maps clipped to the easel until he found the right one, folding the others over the top, out of the way. We're here, he said, tapping the blue circle on the map. Recon was picked up a large Alban force over here. He tapped the region to the northwest. It's moving south and maneuvering to slip between us and FOB McCaffrey and 3rd Battalion over at FOB Glen to our west. He turned away from the map. Intel on the exact nature of the content of the forces is limited. We're not sure how, but they seem to be able to pick out our recon flights, even the high-altitude ones, and get undercover or go invisible before we're able to get a good look at them. We've surprised them a couple times, but most of our intel on this force is coming from some new tech the Geek Squad back home has cooked up, and satellite recon. The tech is experimental and sat coverage is spotty at best. But it looks like the force is about half the size of the force that we wiped out at FOP Williams. That's still a lot of troops, sir, Lieutenant Reed said, getting nods from half of the company, not just his own platoon. It is, Spader said. But satellite photos and a couple recon flights that surprised him didn't see any towers, nor has any of the radar sweeps picked up any returns that would indicate a three-story hunk of metal. So they don't seem to have brought the big guns. That leaves them prime targets for everything that we can throw at them. He flipped the maps back down, then flipped to the top back over the map. Now Intel thinks that they're heading down this valley here. He traced a line between the two FOBs, but closer to the 2nd Battalion's position. 
The hills on either side give them cover to slip between the 3rd Battalion, and the terrain isn't great for moving directly against them from our position. He paused. Or uh, it wouldn't be without modern vehicles. Paper ruffled, and he pulled the top map back down. Intel thinks that they're going to move near the position here, he said, tapping a low rise in the center of the open plain, at the mouth of the valley the owls were moving into. It's one of the spots we considered for setting up this FOB, before we found a better spot. Yeah, but it's still good, defensible position. That's where we're going. He tapped the spot again. At the rate of travel, it'll take them two or three days to get there, if not longer. We can be there in a matter of hours. We're going to race ahead of them and dig in on the line of advance. Where are the anvil? Two maps flipped over on the top of the easel. The army's first battalion of 16th will move in behind the Keeblers as they advance on us. The Doughboys are the hammer. We draw the Keeblers in, get them to commit to an attack. Then the army hits their flank from the east. The objective is to pin them against the ridgeline here. We traced a rise in the northwest of the marine position. Set up a crosswire between us and the Doughboys and bound them flat. The Air Force has three flights of Warthogs prepping to provide close air support and they'll be trading off in pairs. We'll also have two Viper flights that just set up in McCaffrey, and the army just moved half of the squadron of Apaches into FOP army. More air power is prepping to have go, but the big new airfield at Tolkien only just went fully operational last week. Most of the big stuff the Flyboys have to send will be coming in from the other side of the portal. Sergeant Mayfield, one of 3rd Platoon squad leaders, raised a hand. Sir, why don't the flyboys just bomb the feck out of them before they even get close? Because we don't actually know their exact position, Spader said. We know their rough location, and we can guess at where they are at, but the area that they could be is miles across. He shook his head. Top brass isn't ready to commit that much ordnance without a sure target. If they drop it all and miss, we'll still be facing 20,000 pissed-off keeblers, and all of our big air powers on its way back through the portal to rearm and refuel. For now, we're holding it in reserve. Once we pin the bastards down, the flyboys will be standing by to come in and pound them flat. Hoorah! Hoorah! Everyone else echoed back. The army is also setting up an artillery compound in FOP Ermi. They're just moving in now, but they'll be available alongside our own boys of 111. That gives us two and a half companies with 155 Mike Mike on call. Though, you can expect the flyboys to pull back if they start lobbing shells. He chuckled. They're still a bit sensitive about sharing airspace with artillery after they found out how much fire we were lobbing across the sky while the bombers were pounding the Keeblers at Williams. The rest of the Marines chuckled along with him. Turning back to the easel, he flipped to the very last map. A brown-up photo of the rise that they were heading to. The battalion will be setting up here. We figure that we'll have two or three days to dig trenches and stack standbags. We've got a good overlook from where they'll be coming out of the valley. Echo Company is responsible for the quadrant here. He tapped on the set of lines drawn on the eastern half of the position. Delta Company has the other quadrant. Weapons Company will be setting up machine gun positions all along the line, with mortars in the back line. When the time comes, first and second platoons will be the front line. Third platoon will hold our rear quarter in case they try to encircle us somehow, and will act as a reserve. We don't expect them to get past us to our rear, not in significant force, 
and this rock outcropping provides some protection for our backline, but we still don't want to leave ourselves exposed. Mortars will be in the center, and we'll have a platoon of Abrams and platoon of LAVs as support. He turned back to the lieutenants and sergeants before him. The rough plan is to have two rows of trenches and sandbag bunkers, but we'll make final plans and assessments when we get there. We're bringing two M9 dozers, one of the big loaders, and a pair of backhoes with us to help dig in. We roll out in an hour. Any questions? Lieutenant Thumbert raised his hand. Why are we the anvil? Wouldn't it make more sense for the army to go there instead of us? Half of them aren't even here yet. Divert the units there instead of in transit, and they could start digging in before we could ever get there. Because we're ready to go. The army isn't, Mayor said. The units are trickling in because they're hauling extra supplies and equipment. They've got to drop all of that extra gear, refuel, then head back out. That all takes time, time to dig in, that they would lose. And they didn't bring any heavy earth-moving equipment. We've been ready to go now for weeks. And in case you forgot, our men have been a little too short in things to occupy their time. Reed raised his hand. Do we have enough of those anti-stealth rods, in case they try and come all invisible and get the drop on us? Yes, we're still ramping up production of them back home, but we've got plenty enough for the sop. We'll have to pull them out with us when we're done, or we won't have enough for the next FOP. But we're taking all the extras the battalion has. Plus, we've got our artifices. He nodded at Lord Ayan. That's the other reason we're the anvil. What about the backup reserves? Staff Sergeant West asked. Bradford saw him nudge Thrombert. It was subtle, and she doubted anyone else had positioned to see it. Third Battalion will have units on standby to airlift in if we need them, and First Battalion will be doing the same here. We can't know for sure that the Keeblers won't divert to attack FOB Glenn or FOP McCaffrey, so First and Third will be staying put unless we need them. They also will be ready to move out and cut the elves off in case they manage to slip past the doughboys and retreat back up the valley. He glanced around the room. Any other questions? Nobody raised their hand. Good! We'll make the final assessment and decision on how to dig in once we get there. I'll expect inputs from you all then. Retreat! How? They all chorus back. Dismissed! Man, this fecking sucks. How many more of these fecking things do we have to fecking fill? Samson dropped his shovel in the dirt, leaning against it while the latest sandbag was tied off. We fill them until Soft Sergeant says we have enough, Kowalski said. Man, there's Heskos and sandbags all over the place. You're fecking sitting on a stack of a hundred of them at least. We damn near made ourselves a whole nother outpost, Johnson said. A couple of his buddies from 3rd Squadron nodding in agreement. Damper, another rifleman from 3rd Squad, wiped sweat from his brow. It's like my old papa used to say. If the crows already grow in our calf, letting a bullfecker ain't gonna get you another one. Kowalski covered a lot with a cough. Just keep packing, bitch tits. Stand back, save lives. Well then, how come you ain't packing? Kimber asked. Cause I am supervising. Duh. Yeah. And who's keeping watch? Johnson asked. What if they invisible their way right up to us? How would we know? Didn't your sergeant tell you what the plan was? Kowalski said. Nah, never got the chance, Johnson shrugged, holding open another canvas sack for Samson. 
The lieutenant blabbered on about heroics and patriotism and shit for twenty minutes, then sent us all over here to pack sandbags, and Staff Sergeant Rickles pulled Sergeant Byron away for something. Well, we got the heavy equipment digging trenches and filling Haskos, right? Kowalski said, leaning forward, waving at the loader, dumping a bucket full of earth into another Hesco bag. And us over here digging fighting holes and packing sandbags, while second platoon is posted up on lookout. They've got with them an anti-invisibility rods, all set up in the perimeter around 200 meters, and had enough extra that they scattered them across the field around us. He settled back on his sandbag couch. Plus, Cuddlebutt says the geeks back at home have figured out some bullcrap that can pick up the elves that are invisible and nearby. He pointed above them. How high in the sky up there will to let us know if they try to pull any sneaky feck-feck games. What about claymores? Grimes, was the first squad asked. Did you haul up enough to blanket the whole field in your pack? Kowalski glared at him. Didn't think so. We, we have some, Edison said, dumping a shovelful into a bag Grimes was holding. But if they're tripping them, we're about to get overrun. All right, boys, that's enough sandbags for now, Bradford said, walking up out of the working party. Take what you've made and stack them in another row behind this wall here. Jabs, Davies said, looking up from where he had been organizing the empty sacks. That wall's already two bags thick. Yeah, and a third row will make that much harder to knock over, Corporal Davies. Stack it up. Aye, aye, Sergeant, he grumbled as the Marines formed a line to start passing sandbags. You too, Kowalski. You've skated enough. Aye, Sergeant, the lanky Marine reluctantly slid off his throne of sandbags and joined the Jay-Z chain. Bradford slung her rifle and fell in beside him. No real talk, though, St. Teddy said, grunting as he passed the sandbag. Are these fecking wussy-ass elves ever gonna show up? I've been switching my ass off in the hot arse all day. And here, all fecking day yesterday, all fecking day the day before. And I swear to fecking God, if I have to pack another goddamn sandbag, I'm gonna flag down the nearest fecking Keebler and have him put a fecking smell bolt in my fecking brain, bro. Don't hold back. Tell us what you really think, Edison said, taking another bag from him. Feck you! I hope your fecking cat gets fecking rabies. Radford shared a chuckle with the other marines. He's got to be the most entertainingly angry person that I've ever met. Hey, Jabs, uh, where's Shields? Kowalski asked, taking a bag from her. You two having a lover's quarrel? I do couples therapy on the aside. Feck you, Kowalski. Nah, seriously. Sam's and I break up so often, I figured I'd put all the experience to good use. I'm real cheap, only charge 50 bucks a session. Kowalski, Samson shouted from further down the line, being too stupid to know that you're not ever going to beat a gay man in a game of gay chicken is not the same as having a relationship. My love for you, Samson, is a wildfire, free, like a stallion on the open prairie, but you keep trying to take my chocolate cherry out of wedlock. God damn it, Kowalski, Radford chuckled, shaking her head. Seriously, though, where is Shields? I'd hate for us to be missing our portable shield generator when the Keeblers finally show up. Ain't fashionable. He's taking a crap. That double hit from Hot Sauce finally cleared last week's MRE out. Speaking of taking a crap, Thorne said, grimacing as he passed off the bag and stepped out of line. I've got to go. Dude, again? Johnson called after him, but he was already gone. Bradford turned to receive another bag and then found Run stepping out into the next line to her. He wrinkled his nose, taking a bag and passing it over. I think Thorne just shat himself. I 
fucking swear, Johnson said. That motherfucker is always crapping himself. I don't know how he keeps his underwear clean. Hey, you remember when we hit the Keebler camp at Backstreet? He dropped a whole ass turd in his drawers before the elves showed up. Fucking hell, man. Didn't he do that to get out of losing an argument about sucking slongs? The marines chuckled. Fuck, dude. Johnson shook his head. That motherfucker. Day fucking one. I was riding shotgun in the Humvee behind his on the ride out to Tolkien before the big battle. I had to stare at his pale fucking cheeks as he hung his ass out of the door of the Humvee and crapped a fucking fire hose. God damn. That motherfucker needs to get his guts checked. Fucking IBS, bruh. Ain't that disqualifying? Only if it's bad enough. And even then, not if you lie about it. Lock and load, Marines. Mayors shouted, walking up the wall with Staff Sergeant Rickles and the remainder of 1st Platoon. Fly boys have picked up the Keeblers coming in, trying to be sneaky. New boys ready to bring the pain and teach them not to fuck with America. Hoorah! Hoorah! The Marines replied, though a bit lacking in enthusiasm. Jeez, he's laying it on a bit thick, isn't he? Stowing their shovels, the Marines picked up their rifles and took their places on the line. The ratchet and the clack sounds of the magazines being checked and actions readied rattled sporadically across the trenches. Rin took his place, resting his staff on the sandbag wall that topped the entrenched position as he looked out in the mouth of the valley across the field. Silence fell as the last weapons were checked and readied, and the marines waited. And waited. Where are they? Lieutenant says that they're coming. Yeah, but, uh, like, they're almost here coming, or... We're going to be staring at an empty field for three hours, coming. I'll stare at your mom for three hours, coming. Man, fuck you. No, fuck you. All of you, shut up! Bella growled. Each cheek welded to the buttstock as he scanned the rifle field. What? I don't hear anything. The birds. Yeah, I don't hear them. Oh, fuck. I still don't see them. Should we shoot? When will we see them? Relax. Well, we'll know well before they get close, Rent said, flicking an ear at the nervous marine. We didn't have enough disruption rods to create a second perimeter further out, so we buried them across the field, set the widest effect area. He rolled his ears. They won't disrupt more than a small group of elves at that setting, but they will ping an alert to the controlling artificer if anything passes through that area. So you made a minefield of invisible motion detectors? Rent flicked an ear not entirely understanding the reference. Uh, sure? Any invisible elves pass by and will? He cut off mid-sentence as several alerts pinged in his ear. Multiple rogers pinged. Tush! They're already halfway across the field. He readied his staff, but a massive disruption spell burst from the opposite side of the battalion before he could ready his own. The burst was so powerful and noisy that he could see the hairs in the back of Bradford's neck standing on end. Well, there goes the whole mana crystal, he said. She's getting better but still bleeding way too much energy on her projection spells. The smell blast hit, sending disruptive shockwaves across the nearly three quarters of the plane. Like a mirage ripped away, a massive line of Alvin cavalry was revealed a quarter of a mile away. Their invisibility disrupted, the elves dropped the remnants of their spell. Dozens of formations were revealed, each with three waves of double-ranked cavalry in shining plate armor. They were already on the trot, closing the distance. Several horns sounded across the field, and the elves spurred their armored crashy mounts into a gallop, lowering long lances into attack position. Shouts and orders to open fire were passed over the radio, accompanied by a long whistle. 
Kowalski didn't wait for the order to finish, and it took barely a moment for machine guns across the line to open up. Lead and tracers streamed across the field, biting into the elven formation as they started their charge. The Abrams each fired in turn, their god hammers thumping in fury. No explosion followed, but their shot ripped down a whole segments of the elven formation. The elves continued their charge, undeterred. The LAVs opened up with their rapid thumping guns, stitching 25mm explosive charges across the elven line. They shredded the Queshi and elves alike. Bryn's chest thumped as another salvo from the Abrams punched more holes into the elven formation. Every machine gun mounted on each tank opened up, streaming fire across the field as the main gun reloaded. Despite all the gunfire, the thunder of the Queshi Hoos could be felt through the ground as they continued their charge. 400 tails, elves continued to drop as rapid salvo of mortar rounds thumped around them, spraying dirt, smoke, and gore into the air. But there were thousands of them. The marines were all firing with their rifles, picking more of them off, but they still came. 300 tails. More explosives rippled across the elven line as the tanks fired, their shells tearing craters into the ground, but no longer ripping down whole swaths of elven formation. Kowalski burned through the belts of ammunition as fast as he could reload them, and so was every other machine gunner. Queshi tumbled to the ground as their bodies were riddled with bullets and shrapnel. Many of their riders fell with them, just as torn and punctured. Often the rider survived his mount, jumping clear as the beast fell. Drawing long cavalry sabers, they continued to charge on foot. Multiple streams of machine gun fire on the far side of the entrenchment lit up the Yagi's trademark enhancement glow. The rounds punched through the elves and kept going, taking out the elf behind it. Sometimes, even the alpha two's second wave, only the long body of the Queshi was enough to stop them. Along the elven flanks, hundreds of soldiers, perhaps a thousand or more on each side, split to pass around the marine fortification and encircled the position. Kowalski burned through another belt, the barrel of his gun glowing hot, cursing, cursing. He pounded the handle until it popped free. Quickly, jamming the spare barrel home, he lifted the top cover and slapped a new belt in the tray before slamming the top cover back down. His hands moved so fast that they were a blur. Davy switched to full auto and dumped his magazine. With shaking hands, he fumbled for a replacement before jamming it home and damping it again. Fuck, 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 fuck. Miller kept his cheek welded to his rifle and fired a steady beat, even more as marines around him switched to full auto and started dumping ammunition. An elf or a Queshi dropped with every squeeze of his trigger. The elves kept coming. Radford thumped a 40mm grenade and explosion took down two Queshi and one of their riders, flipping to full auto. She stitched around down the line before reloading. Two hundred tails. The line was chaos. The constant roar, all by the Abrams' main guns, buried into the indistinct drone of massed machine gunfire. Still, the elves came. Crashy, who survived the riders, continued forward in a charge, caught in the press of Alvin formations, converging on this much smaller marine battalion. Run started pouring out spells as fast as he could form them, Spell shots, firebolts, lightning bursts, anything that came to mind as fast as he could think of it. His mana crystal ran dry. He jammed another one in, and soon another. One hundred tails. Rin jammed another mana crystal into his staff. Everyone was in full auto now. Fifty tails. The Gwenshi were in full sprint. How do they have anyone left? We're going to be overrun. Forty. Thirty. Twenty. Ten. 
The last surviving elf stumbled and fell to the ground ten meters from the marine trenches, his body and mount ripped apart by two dozen machine guns and hundreds of rifles. As the echo of the last shots rolled back from the ridge of the western edge of the field, the silence that fell was deafening. Holy crap! Radford looked out across the field of carnage. Hundreds of the elk-like horses had survived. Some screamed in the throes of death. Others fled in panic. Not a single elf remained alive. Is... is that it? Is it over? I think so. Back! That was close. Bradford looked at her watch. Holy fuck, that's... That, that all lasted less than a minute. She looked back out across the field. What was once so peaceful, now strewn with mangled corpses. On reflex, she pulled her half-spent magazine out of her rifle, looked at it, and then stuffed it in her dump pouch before replacing it with a fresh magazine. Kowalski looked over his shoulder at the noise, blinking at her, then shook his head. He turned and popped the still-glowing barrel off of Lucy, swapping the first barrel back on. Yoma, where's that extra ammo I made you carry? The rest of the squad quickly followed suit, replacing magazines and ammo belts, triggering a wave across the battalion. Radford turned and saw Staff Sergeant Rickles talking to Mayers. He was talking low, and she couldn't hear what he was saying. Or maybe I just can't hear crap right now. Mayers wasn't saying anything. He just stared out at the field, his face pale. The magazine in his rifle was empty, the bolt still locked in the rear. Rickles locked to attention. Aye, aye, sir, he said, loud enough for the Marines around him to hear. Stepping away from Mayer, he grabbed two Marines from First Squad and sent them running back to the supply depot in the central fortification. Well, so much for the cavalry, Samson said. Ha, <laughs> yeah, Kimber said, pulling out a water bottle and taking a swig. Told them hard way that you don't charge massed machine gun fire. <laughs> yeah, Edison chuckled. That was like one of the battle simulator games. Guess they didn't think that we kicked their ass hard enough the first time around, Kowalski said. The Marines started to chuckle and laugh as the tension eased. Bradford started to smile with them. Then Rin's ears shot up in rigid surprise. She followed his gaze as he stood and looked over the sandbags. Out at the chewed up field and she registered the gaping holes their own fire tore into the disruption fence. Rin's ears drooped. Dash! He swung his staff up and spat a disruption burst across the battlefield. His pulse was much smaller and far less energetic than Yugi's, but his spell structure was flawless. The pulse burst across the corner of the field, revealing an elven infantry formation at close range. Like the cavalry, the elven infantry dropped their invisibility, revealing thousands of soldiers in rank formation just 200 meters away. 200 meters behind them stood two mage towers. One Abram's tank snapped off a shot, striking this tower at Viagra's right, just below the copula. Exploding HEAT round ripped the top of the tower apart, sending the mangled remains of its top tumbling into the direction of the tower toppled in another. The other tower popped up its shield, blocking two tank shells fired into it. The bubble, that formation, didn't cover the entire elven force, but blanketed a large portion of the infantry on the western side of the formation. The remaining tanks and marines opened fire. No order needed to be given. As the rounds started to cut into their lines, the elves swung large scotum-like shields into front of them. Their ornate shields resisted rifle fire, but their heavier rounds from the 240s and the M2 still punched through. Radford thumped the grenade into the front of the elven formation. Several elves dropped, opening a brief hole in their shield wall, and showering the shields were not proof against explosives. 
The surviving mage tower began to slow advance, following behind the Elven infantry. It opened fire, slapping one of the entrenched Abrams with a heavy smell blast. The Abrams spat fire and fury in return. Where the hell are the Galadam army? Kimber said. Another heavy spell blast slammed into one of the center trenches, sending dirt, sandbags, and bodies tumbling into the air. Forget the goddamn army! Where the hell is the fucking air support? Kowalski said, slapping another belt into his gun. No sooner were the words spoken than a pair of cobras roared overhead, dumping rockets into the tower shields and completely ignoring the minimum aircraft standoff range. They broke away as the first tower's fires at them, letting to either side of the shield bubble, they narrowly evaded an airburst. Guard bursts from the Elven Major slapped into the sandbags in front of them and flashed overhead. The Marines continued to pour heavy fire despite being peppered by spell fire from the Elven Majors. The Elves maintained their advance. The tanks thumped their firing into a joint salvo, focusing their fire onto the tower. More lights flashed from the western trenches as Yagi spread her enhancement. Bradford counted glowing streams from ten machine guns now, each round ripped straight through the infantry shields, armor, and multiple elves. As the Cobras circled around to make another pass, several explosions ripped through the closing elven formation on the eastern flank. Directly in front of the second squad, a wave of elves started dropping as streams of tracer fire cut into them from the edge of the field to their right. Bradford looked to the edge of the field, her heart leaping as several Abrams, Bradleys, and Humvees rolled out of the trees. The army had arrived. The elven formation shifted to their right as their eastern flank started to crumble, trying to fit as many soldiers under the tower shields as they could. They stalled their advance. One Abrams revved its engines up to the tower, spat another shot and the entrenched marines, chewing another hole in their fortifications. With a growl, it drove forward, up and out of its hull-down position, slamming back into the ground as it bounced hard on its treads. The tank began charging the tower. The other three Abrams roared out their dug-in positions moments later, spitting MG and cannon fire into the Elven shields as they followed suit. More gunfire tore across the Elven formation still exposed as a series of missiles slammed into the shields. Looking past the Elven formation, Bradford spotted a flight of Apaches hovering above the trees, unloading fire. The two Cobras rumbled back overhead, strafing the Elves' right flank with guns and rockets. The Abrams' tracks were painted red with blood as they rolled over the fallen bodies littered in the battlefield. Shard bursts blinked against them without effort. The tower hit one in front armor. It shuddered, chunks of metal flying off, but it kept driving. Another took a glancing hit down its side. The tank survived, but its left track was ripped apart, bringing it to a grinding halt as it spun a quarter circle. The remaining Abrams continued their charge forwards. A third shot missed as the first tank swerved around the obstruction in the field. Then it breached the shield. Cox spat a stream of lead as the main gun swung to target and fired. The tracer was barely visible before the 120mm HEAT round slammed into the copula at the top of the tower. The explosion ripped it to pieces. The tower stumbled and fell as an uncontrolled current of mirror arched across the spines and loops, ripping it apart as the shield collapsed. The shockwave of the 120mm gun's report flattened the elves in front of it before the tanks slammed into their formation. The tanks continued their charge, smashing more of the tightly packed infantry under their treads than with their machine guns. The army charged out of the tree line, pressing into the elves' left flank with two full tank platoons. 
six Bradleys, and two dozen Humvees. The Elven lines collapsed into a full retreat. Come and at him, boys, Spader shouted, crawling up onto the sandbag wall. They're on the ropes. We can't let the army have all the fun. Two five, Radford shouted, crawling up out of the trench half a second behind Kowalski. Retreat! Hell! The marines roared as they charged out of their trenches and fighting holes in pursuit. The army vehicles spread to the north, cutting off the elves' path of retreat, forcing them to collapse against the steep ridge to the west of the field. The marine tanks halted as the elves retreated around them, waiting for their own infantry to catch up before advancing. Pressed against the bridge, their numbers severely diminished as the elves engaged in visibility. The humans slowed their approach, their fire trickling off. Oh, you fucking idiots! Kowalski shouted. They're still there! He brought Lucy up and hosed into the elves when they suddenly reappeared. The entire surviving elven contingent returned from thin air and promptly fell over dead, their own swords in their guts. A blood-curdling shriek right in front of her nearly jolted Bradford out of his skin. Fucking shit! she shouted, stumbling back and nearly falling into a blood-soaked mud. The question in front of her had renewed its exhausted struggles as she approached. You good jabs, Dubois said, as chuckles spread around the squad. Yeah, she said, recovering from the start. The wounded animal's cries had been growing softer again, gurgling from the blood in its lungs. She drew her side up and stepped up to the dying creature, putting it out of its misery with a single gunshot. Sporadic gunfire echoed across the field as marines and soldiers picked through the remains of the elven army, looking for surviving elves, useful equipment, and ending the suffering of dying mounts that they could do nothing else for. Bradford holstered a pistol, the magazine already half expended. There's a lot more of the creatures alive than I would have expected, and none of the elves again. Anyone find anything? I got a sword, Kowalski said as he walked by. It ain't one of them fancy lightsaber edge ones, but it's still got a good sheath thing. Anything useful, Kowalski? She rolled her eyes. She kicked the mangled legs of an elf next to the Queshi, a female who had caught as many machine gun rounds as a mount. This one's got fancy armor, might have been an officer of some kind. She's a pretty one, Kimber said, coming over to take a closer look. Well, she was before the bullet took her face. He knelt down and started searching the body pulling the armor off as he checked the pockets for hidden pouches. Ha, <laughs> Davy said, wandering over. Your mother know you like to feel up corpses. Beck you, Davies. You sure you don't want a selfie with your new girlfriend? He asked. We can post it online. Show your mom who you're bringing home for Thanksgiving. Shut the feck up, man. Ah, seriously, lean in and give her a smooch. The chunky marine pulled out his phone. I said, feck off, Davies, Kimber said, turning to glare at him. Hey, man! Redford stepped in front of him, getting in his face. Drop it, she said. Go check those bodies over there. Look, Jabs, I'm just trying to have a bit of fun. You, he said, getting a hand on her shoulder. She reached up and yanked it off, bodily shoving him back a step. I said, drop it, Corporal. Now go back and check those bodies over there. That's a fecking order. Davies glared at her, gritting his teeth a moment. Aye, aye, Sergeant. He turned and walked away in the general direction Bradford indicated, but didn't stop to check any bodies. She watched him go, clenching and unclenching her fists, her nose twitching as she ground her teeth together. With a deep breath, she looked at her hands out of the sight and exhaled slowly, pushing the matter aside. With another breath, she turned back to Kimber. 
Find anything? Nothing, that's intel, he said. Neither he nor Dubois gave any reaction to the incident. Just crap that looks like medieval field kit, he frowned, standing up in this. He passed her a gold and silver chain attached to a moderate-sized pendant made of white gold and platinum. It was tucked under her armor. She took the jewelry from him, and upon closer examination realized it wasn't a pendant, but a large locket. Popping the clasp and opening the locket revealed the portrait of an elven woman in the same armor as a corpse and matching faces, minus the bullet holes. She stood beside two elven children. One was a boy who looked to be in his teens. The other was a girl who was barely a toddler. Both children bore strong resemblance to the woman at the portrait. Bradford stared at the portrait for a long moment. A buddy of mine is in the 3-6, Kemper said. He helped sort through the bodies after the first fight. He didn't talk about it much, but he said he found a couple things like that on a few bodies, and on as many as the ones killed themselves as the ones that didn't. That's fecked up, Dwarr said, looking at the portrait as Bradford handed it to him. Don't they want to go back to their families? He handed the locket back. We don't know their culture, she said, taking the locket back. They might think that they're already dead, or glorified dying in battle, or consider defeat to be ultimate dishonor, or something. Still fecked up, Kimber said. Yeah, she said, tucking the locket into a pouch. Hey, Sergeant Bradford, Gomez said, stepping over and looking like a very much wanted to be holding his hat in his hands. Yeah, Gomez, what is it? Uh, I've been thinking about the fight and all, and uh, what do we do if they come at us like this when we're not all dug in? Probably just run away, she said, turning to face him. Back it into the Humvee and drive away faster than they can ride. Then, when they're all gassed out, we swing back around and pick them off at range. Uh, okay, he frowned. Packing everyone into trucks ain't quick. What if they get the jump on us? Well, we should know that they're in the area at least, Bradford said. I don't know what it is, but the intel weenies have figured out a way to tell when the elves are nearby, even if they're invisible. I also heard Captain Spader talking about artillery shells. Sounds like the brass have started ordering other rounds that drop mines. Same for cluster bombs. If they want to throw cavalry charge at us like that again, we'll just drop a minefield in their way. He patted his shoulder. And if that isn't enough, we'll just stab him with our bayonets. Hoorah! Hoorah! Gomez said with a smile. Heck. They all turned to face a wet thud that followed and found Alder scrabbling his hands and knees, half covered in mud and gore. Oh, feck! Ugh. It's gone in my fecking mouth! He wrenched puking up the contents of his stomach. The marines around him laughed. Oh, oh no, I can't, I can't handle... Samson turned and vomited. The marines cursed and laughed as they jumped out of the way, even as Centelli joined the wave of sympathetic puking. End of chapter. The algorithm reckons you should be watching this video next, and I recommend that you should be always watching my video. So, click, click, click. Worth energy! And yes, clicking that does help the channel. Thank you very much. I just quickly want to thank the tier 5 patrons and channel members. Alithia Barkey, Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnholtz, Albard and Gusta, Arcadian, Lord Azrakal, and Joe Kumbaka.